Hey, this is Glenn, and today on Infants on Thrones, I sit down once again with psychotherapist Josh Neal. We often suffer more in imagination than in reality. To continue a series of reflective discussions about what our ongoing experience with the Mormon faith crisis has been teaching us about our own mental health, vulnerability, authenticity, acceptance of reality, and the power that we all have to create emotional well-being through all of it. And it's arbitrary, and it is constructed, and it is not total, because the boundary between self and the environment is porous. Love for me is finding the beauty and the totality of the universe and all the colors it paints with, all the colors, all the colors, all the colors. The goal of the Stoic life, which is tranquility, when we look at tranquility, we say, is it possible to live with these things having happened to me and still achieve tranquility? Can anything prevent that? And the answer for them is no. It is my decision to create and generate that tranquility and that I still have that ability to do that with all of these things that are a part of my life that are the difficulties that I bear and that I don't have to add to them, but it is necessary in life to bear certain difficulties. And so it's that kind of clarifying point that lets you determine what is and what is not harm. And for them, what cannot harm or what can harm tranquility is only the self. It's only you. Now, if you find yourself on a similar journey and you're looking for someone to help you along the way, you can find Josh at Capitol Hill Therapy in Seattle, Washington. And you can find me right here at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And if you appreciate the work that I'm doing here, please come and support the podcast on Patreon. And now, this is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right so anyway so you you asked me how my week has been and i said let's just start recording yeah um, so my week from, from the time we last spoke a week ago, you know, the first, the first two conversations that we did, I just turned them around and I published them pretty much right away, like really, really quickly, very minimal editing. The conversation that we had last week, I started listening to it and then I got maybe like 10 minutes into it and I just stopped. I don't know. There, there was something about it that I'm like, eh, I just was blocked on it all week. And then in the hour and a half just previous to us sitting down now, I went back and I listened to it. And I freaking loved, I loved that conversation. I, I, I don't know what it was that, like, I've got this avoidance thing in me that, uh, yeah, avoidance is an issue. But anyway, so one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of that conversation, um, I told you a little bit about my dad and, you know, he's 80 years old and he has pneumonia and um 
I, I was speculating on how I might feel when he passes away and whether I'm going to be involved in his funeral or not. And, you know, those kinds of things. And I really appreciated that you said, well, let's let's recognize there's a distinction between thinking about how you might feel once it happens and actually what's going to happen when it's really happening, you know, like, and it, it goes back to the being in the moment thing. So that's something that, that, that was within the first 10 minutes or so that I listened back. And so that I was carrying that around with me all week. And because of that, when I got together with my dad and my brother and my sister, this last uh, Monday night, I took the opportunity to just have the conversation that I've been avoiding to have with them and just said, you know, dad, we went to uh, this this funeral together a couple months ago and it's got me thinking like, what are you, what are you planning? What are you thinking? And it turns out he and his wife have already like had the conversations. He told her to print out the program. (laughs) It's like she never did. But that they had already planned on us talking, you know, speaking and having roles and wanted to show us. I'm like, you've already got like a program for your funeral. like, <laughs> And we haven't even had these conversations anyway. But that was it was so great. It, it, it was like relieving a lot of pressure that was the pressure, I think, that I had been creating by my thinking and worrying and anticipating and wondering and questioning and not really knowing to then actually having that conversation with him and going, okay, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It's fine. It's kind of already planned. So that was great. And then my brother who's up in Seattle is down uh, visiting uh, for my dad's birthday and just being able to reconnect with him uh, a bit was just fantastic. So it's been, so it's been a pretty good week, but um there's a lot I still want to talk with you about with this whole idea of healing and building on concepts from last week mm-hmm. and the, the previous discussions as well. It's It's been really cool, Josh. Um, so I'm I'm interested in in focusing today, something that you said last week, you want to talk more about like self-love. Hmm. Yeah. Self, self-acceptance and, and that sort of thing. So I'm <laughs> I'm interested in in that, but where are you at? How's your week been? Well, let me just react to what you shared. And then I want to answer these questions. And I'm holding three things is just first my reaction to what you shared, and then my week and then um, self love, which I think is a really interesting I have a, yeah, some stuff I'd like to say about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm admiring of your father's embracing of the end of his life and his willingness to face it and prepare for it. Yeah. Um, and I also think it's an awesome that you faced whatever you were facing that you would have preferred to avoid and that you got in there and you, you got into it with them and I'm happy that it went well. Yeah. And it was yeah. easy. It was easy. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. Cause I'm just thinking of my own avoidance and how often I have such a similar experience of something one of the Stoics that I like, I, I'm pretty sure it was a Stoic. It may have been Epictetus or something. He says, we often suffer more in imagination than in reality. Yeah. Yeah. For someone, sure. some one of our dozens of listeners might quote me and find out it was Socrates or something. Yeah. 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 He ripped but, it off. 
<laughs> but yeah, but the, the, the quote is he was just is, retweeting Socrates, I think, <laughs> or re-xing or whatever it's called now. Yeah, yeah re-xing. Um well that's cool. I I had a um a person, my gestalt leader, um, and the way that his life ended, I don't think he prepared for it much, and it left um things difficult. And so mm. when people um when anyone is facing the end of their life in preparation and care for the people that it will impact. I have a, yeah. a lot of admiration for that. Well, my dad, my dad's a corporate, was a corporate attorney. He's done a lot of estate planning. So he's been planning for things a long time. I, I, I want to ask you did, because in, in your response to me, and I don't want to yeah. derail these three things that you want to talk about, but but you said, I think it's really awesome that your dad's planning ahead of time. And I think it's really awesome that you faced your fears, you know? Yeah. The first thing that you said was like building up my dad. Mm. So so my reaction to that, I'm going to describe my reaction to him. Yeah. I thought, oh, did Josh lead with my dad because he noticed that I was kind of disparaging my dad of being like, wow, he's already like planned this thing. And so Josh is like, I'll show him. I'll show I'll show Glenn that like <laughs> that like it's really awesome. I'm going to reframe this for Glenn so that we can like get some new neural pathways going here. And he's not being Debbie Downer about his dad. So a oh little bit God. of a like friendly, gentle reprimand at the beginning oh, of like, so don't funny. don't forget, Glenn, it's awesome what your dad did. I don't wow. know if I don't know if that was your intention or not, but those were my like that was my I I love the response. level of awareness you have about the reaction. <laughs> um no, I hadn't planned any of that or thought in in any way like that at all. Not consciously, I, I, but maybe unconsciously. So Maybe maybe unconsciously, I have no idea. So <laughs> so we can say maybe unconsciously. Yeah. Um which is always possible, but what I was in touch with and aware of was really remembering kind of my gestalt daddy, um, which was Bob Resnick, who I admire and love, and I don't wish to disparage him. But I just think that what happened was he didn't prepare for his death in a way that was um, what I would have wanted him to do. I would have wanted him to prepare more for it and prepare in lots of ways that supported the community to practically move forward at, at the end of his life. And so, yeah, I'm 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 sorry. I just started thinking about like when Joseph Smith died, and there was this whole power struggle in Nauvoo oh, yeah. between Brigham yeah. Young, and yeah. So totally. I, I I thought, totally. was there somebody in the organization that stood up, and then everybody was like, oh, that guy has the face of Bob Resnick, like the whole Brigham Young looking like Joseph right. Smith story. Right. So I started laughing at the thought of that, but right. it, it was, well, is yeah. that the kind of chaos that you, like he didn't plan for? And so the organization, there was like a vac power vacuum or leadership vacuum. He didn't, it wasn't that bad. So hmm. um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a complete, it wasn't the schism vacuum. of the Mormon church. It wasn't no, that bad. Okay. No, it hasn't <laughs> been. There's been a pretty cohesive inheritance, which actually includes me as inheriting part of his training program mm -hmm. uh, as a director here in Seattle. But it wasn't what I would have liked, and I don't want to go too much into this, but I would have liked it had that been happening ongoing in conversations with him when he was very healthy. Yeah. Um, and that that would have just been that his blessing would have been there and that maybe even he would have stepped away actively 
well before the end, mm. which I think would be the most ideal, you know, like um, there's that sushi chef, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Oh, that yeah, I love like, that documentary. Yeah. yeah and, and he's handed something off to his son yeah. that's already active and ongoing while his is still around. Um, and so that kind of uh, inheriting, blessing, supporting, kind of like moving into the grandfather role. I don't know that he did that. I think he stayed more in the father role. He was more driving his thing, not kind of empowering it to expand beyond him while he was alive. And now it's kind of moved into that, but it's happening without his direct guidance and support, which would have been really great to have. Yeah. Because I think that would have been, it, it, in a way, it's what he did, but it, I I guess it's just, you know, I would have wanted more. And so that was what I was thinking about when you're talking about your dad setting things up All and right. really, I felt it as a caring thing for him to do. I don't know actually what it is or if it's just yeah. a function of how he operates as an attorney or whatever. But the meaning making in the Josh world right. was, yeah. was, wow, this is a really, also my actual father. I, I think he has a will, like I mm. hope, but we're all just kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe uh, yeah. like we're, we're all going to get into some death struggle over what little inheritance we get from his house or whatever. There's like yeah. six of us living siblings. I have no idea what, I don't anticipate any kind of like money thing. And I don't look forward to that at all. I just want him to yeah. live. And, but I imagine there will be some bit of chaos and so for me, the idea that someone wraps it up and cleans the office and gets ready to pack out, it's um, something that I, I think for me feels like an act of love and care to do that for those that that exist after you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so. and my meaning making part took it as a reprimand because I always feel like yeah. at, at just some yeah. default, I've done something wrong. And yeah. eventually like here's Josh liking drop. him and I'm supposed to maybe that. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> like, well, he's not my dad, so I don't have the history I have that, that yeah. you have. Yeah. So I'm what were the other things that you wanted to talk about that I derailed you from Josh? There were three. I remember because I remember three patterns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, just my own week. Um, and then, uh, and then getting into what, kind of an exploration of what I think about when I think about loving mm. um, and and loving yourself primarily and, and what I think about that. That's interesting. So when I say self-love, the thing that interests me about that is self. And mm. I think what you're saying is the thing that you're like thinking of is the love part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess the self is is there, but that's, you know, again, like another my dog is burrowing in my jacket on the bed. So it might be picking up that sound anyway. Oh, it doesn't, um, it doesn't pick up any of those oh. background sounds. No zoom zoom's got like a filter Oh hell now. Yeah. So like background noise. No, you're good. Awesome. Okay. So, um, well, the, re the reason that I said the little comment about unconsciously, maybe you meant to earlier yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, was yeah. because I was anticipating this discussion we're going to have about the self and like what, what we're really talking about when we're talking about the self um where does where are the boundaries like where does the self begin where does the self end is it just the parts of me that i'm aware of or does it also include the parts of me that i'm not aware of and especially when the parts of me that i'm not aware of are doing so much heavy lifting yeah uh to keep the parts of me that i am aware of uh nominally aware <laughs> but yeah. but anyway so like that that idea of self love 
I, I'm interested in like expanding the definition of self, but not not to exclude a discussion around love. Like I think that's well, yeah. So I mean, those are enormous topics, and probably we could spend hours and hours. We and might maybe we and maybe we will. We might. Yeah, yeah, but as a kind of a cursory overview, um, and let me just say this: there's nothing really that important in my weekly review, so we can drop that one i'm not I'm, I'm not really like i just anyone anyone listening waiting to hear let's just say we'll scrap that we'll not not anything worthy of note but this stuff is interesting so we arbitrarily set up parameters to describe what we're talking about so that it can be done meaningfully and this allows us to create a what do we call a scope of content that we want to look at and we call that the self and it's arbitrary and it is constructed and it is not total because the boundary between self and the environment is porous Mm -hmm. and extends into it and so there is no distinct disconnect between one being and the greater part of reality most primarily the never-ending umbilical cord between you and the greater part of existence is breath we are never separate from a constant pulsing breathing in and out of a dependence on the environment that is immediate and necessary at all times there's everything else we can live without for a period of time I mean, if you removed an atmosphere, maybe that's another thing to consider. But um, really what ties us to the environment constantly in its pulse is the breath. And so at least there we are not separate from it. And it is becoming part of our body as it combusts on a cellular, cellular level and creates energy within our being. So when we talk about the self, we want to basically understand that cosmologically and spiritually we're imposing boundaries so we can meaningfully discuss something but we don't have to literally believe that this is the parameter that is true it is a parameter we set in order to have a discussion about what we discover at this level of organization and so at the cellular level of organization the atomic level of organization and we're talking about the human being level of organization and we're we're going to define it as a unit so that we can talk about what happens at that level of existence. But it's not correct necessarily to make it objectively, capital T, true, separate, because we can argue that it isn't. Um, and when so you're, we separate. you're saying it isn't separate. You mean the self isn't the separate self, from the, the environment. Being, the human, the human. And, the and, human. And, and, and maybe the gestalt term that we use is the organism. They call it the human organism. And uh, that organism is not actually separate from the environment. It is one with the environment. And the example I give is breath. The second one would be uh, constant need for water, uh, then eventually for food, digesting and breaking down other parts of the environment that become part of the organism. Uh, And so these delineations that we make, they serve a purpose to allow us to meaningfully discuss the qualities and features we find at this level of the organization of reality, which is the human organism. 
and we would delineate its boundary at the skin, but even the even the skin is porous and it absorbs its reality. It absorbs the things you're touching. We know that clothing that people wear that's mainly made out of microplastics is absorbing BPA into their skin and that's affecting hormone levels. So it's like everything that you touch, everything that's around you is, is interacting um, with you as a being. And yeah. so yet in order to have a discussion that looks at the qualities and traits that happen here, because they're important, we will arbitrarily set the boundary at the skin and we'll refer to the organism. Now, the perceptual way that the organism carries a, a historical memory of, of, of its being and, and um, organizes it, we might call the self-function, which is part of the organism's mental process, which creates a fictional story about who and what that being is almost as a narrative and resonance thing that will become important to people and they'll organize around that meaningfully as well. And that's a different thing than the organism. It's actually an aspect of the organism. And that would be, uh, we call it a function because it's like the heart beating is a function. The heart is an organism or an organ and it's, it's pumping is its function. And so the mental process of the self would be understood from the Gestalt perspective and, and my perspective as a function of a mental process, a psychic process that is ongoing all the time, updating, integrating, maybe blocking off, maybe unconsciously aware, but representing some character uh, that we would call Joshua Neal. That is a, and I, I, I take that character on each day with some kind of memory and habitual way of being that's become accustomed to me based on my experiences, tendencies, habit, et cetera, that kind of I bring to my reality over and over and over like a function. And at any given point, something could happen that could start to shift that. Um, and so I guess it's, it, it is important to think of it this way before we get into how does one love what is love and how does one do that in relationship to the self yeah. or this ongoing kind of constructed, basically uh, the Freudian thing would be to call it the ego function. We call well, it. Well, that's what I wanted to go to. Let, let, let me, let me push pause just for a minute. And I want to try to summarize everything you just said to, to see if I'm following you. Um, and that might be helpful for listeners and any, any of the dozens that might be listening to this. And um <laughs> So I, when we get a merch line, I want one of our shirts to have like a picture of Gretel or something. And just says, we have dozens of listeners. That's dozens. All right. That'll Design be our first. It. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Let's do All it. Right. And anyway, we'll, do... We'll, we might sell six. <laughs> to our 50%. Super listeners. Um, yeah. Get in now. There yeah. will only be six made. There'll only be six made. So the way that I, what I took from what you said is that nature, reality, existence, whatever word you want to say, it's made up of parts, pieces. And all of these pieces are interacting harmoniously in certain ways. And, and, and you know, like the, the BPA on your genes are impacting your skin. You know, you might not think about that, but like everything's made up of parts. Everything's interacting. Everything's kind of porous. So if you're trying to identify the self, 
let's talk about a human, how these parts that make up a human, uh, maybe the skin is the boundary where we're talking about a human, but even within that human organization, there are a lot of different parts. There's organs like the heart, you know, there's the brain and they do these functions. And, you know, one of the functions of the brain is processing information in such a way that you have a sense of awareness, a sense of self-awareness that might be called an ego or, you know, other traditions might have different names for it. And so if we're really going to zero in on all of these different parts in reality that are working harmoniously, it's these parts within the human brain that create a sense of separate identity from everything else that we're going to isolate and say, okay, this is the self, this is the ego. This is what we're talking about here when we're saying uh, to, to have a really meaningful life, it's important to develop self-acceptance and self-love. It's it's that running program in our brain that's telling us what we are, made up of stories and experiences and memories and fears yeah. and you know, these kinds of things. Yeah. But, and then, and then we take those in and we say, that's me or not me. And that's yeah. kind of like the function that underlies the ego process is kind of delineating me and not me. And, and when that's that, huge. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah. that part's huge. And that's why I like bringing up the unconscious stuff because the unconscious stuff, like, yeah, I'm the one that's, that that's judging everything yeah. around yeah. me. But yeah. if I'm not aware that I'm deeply doing that unconsciously, I might think, oh, that per like the reason I'm upset right now is because this person did this thing instead of the reason I'm upset is because I'm interpreting <laughs> at a very unconscious level what it means for this person to have done this thing. And I'm upset at my own. What, what was that quote that uh, might have been from Socrates earlier? The knowing your own self. It was something about that. I don't know why it is completely, it's like, I can, I know exactly what I said and it's like completely <laughs> blank from my, it's like it got erased. Yeah. I was just so into what you were saying earlier. Yeah. I anyway, I was trying to, I was trying to tie it back to that, but, but so there might be parts of the self that I'm not accepting these different parts of myself because I don't know them because they're unconscious. They're part of my physical body. They're part of my central nervous system. It's part of my brain. But I don't really know that I'm doing it. I'm only aware of this, you know, smaller functional part that we're talking about as a, a self-aware ego or self. That that's that's what I that's the way that I understand it. Is that does that resonate with what you're saying, Josh? Or yeah, am I off? Anyway, it resonates. I like what you're saying, and I think you're even kind of expounding on it to look at that different people have. Um, so within this function that kind of is basically the um the we could look at it through like a narrative lens or something but it's the ongoing character that you're building and relating to and saying is me mm -hmm. and yeah. it's actually a function of the ego to do this or the self function and it allows a coherent um thing to emerge which can keep maintaining in the environment for survival and for a sense of like reality uh to persist and so it's a way of recognizing what is part of this being and what is not part of this being that we are um it polarizes you from me and not me and when we encounter others and we have affinity or we have um maybe the opposite of that we could say like some kind of dissonance or some kind of like 
mm, I don't like this. Then we've got another function, which gets into object relations theory, which is like me, not me, good and bad. And so people do like splitting and they look at like this person has a thing that is not me and it is bad. Then they have a reaction to that without recognizing like this is actually probably a disowned part. And the reason that I can even make connection to what I'm getting in touch with about them is because it also exists within me to some level. There's something about it that I recognize that I have to be able to recognize. Otherwise it's just completely incomprehensible and foreign. And so any, any judgments that we make as good or bad in others, this is kind of a, a, a thing you were, you were discussing or looking at, which does get into kind of this self-love thing that we might get to hopefully is this what we make of these things outside of us and often in others that we have affinity towards or we think are good or valuable uh or that we go the opposite and we say are bad or whatever they're really more about parts of us parts of what our being does and is and they symbolize just our own affinity or repulsion or disconnect from certain things um, but, but to, so, so I wanted to say that's kind of another thing. And then what you described otherwise is I think a good summary of what I was saying. Yeah. 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 A, a thought I had, as you were saying that, like when you talked about the heart pumping blood throughout the circulatory system, that that's the function of the heart, you know, Yeah. that whatever this function is of the brain that we're calling ego or sense of self, it's almost it's almost like I, I think you said it it evolved as a way to move about in the world and uh, maintain, you know, yeah. get, get your basic needs for survival, get your basic needs right. met and that sort of thing. It, it, but it also has this function of judging good, bad, yeah, better, yeah. worse, me, yeah. not me, you know, right. and, right. and that that part of us is. Like it's it's a very natural part of us judging, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. like to go back to something that we said last week, when you were talking about healing, that there's this acceptance of self. Of, yeah. Like so for for me to say, yeah, the the Mormon Church formed me in such a way that I've got these really severe judgments, and I just can't help it. You mm -hmm. know, like in the mm -hmm. past, I might have thought, mm -hmm. okay, so the way to heal is then to just to not judge. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I spend my whole time trying to be something other than what I am. And this part of me, this unconscious part of me that I can't really just go in and go, okay, I changed it. I untangled all the wires and now it's right. It, it's more about like recognizing when it comes up and going, okay, yeah, this is the part of me that evolved to judge the Mormon church conditioned it in certain ways you know like this this very malleable clay that got formed into a certain sculpture or whatever i don't know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this ideal the way that things should be the way that things are supposed to be mm -hmm. even the idea that there are things that are supposed to be certain ways like mm -hmm. that yeah. you know or uh, that i'm supposed to not judge and i'm supposed to yeah. not be as mormonism formed me right right and, and so going okay wait no i can accept that i am that way that's in me that's not going to change. I mean, it might change a little bit because everything changes, but you know, like it's, it's not bad that I'm doing it, that I have that. That's where I'm not sure when I say it, I, I kind of choke when I say it's not bad that I do it because I really do think that it's bad that I do it. <laughs> yeah. Know? 
How do you know? How do you know if it's bad? How do I know if it's bad? Usually if somebody gets hurt, if, Hmm. if, if, if somebody gets hurt in. Interesting. What is hurt? Like people get hurt when they give birth. Is that bad? Uh, (laughs) no, (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's, sometimes bad, it's good. Sometimes it's sometimes bad. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, but when I've done something that has caused harm to somebody harm. that, that is out of my own, here's that word selfishness where I'm thinking about myself, but I'm not thinking about them, them. I'm thinking, yeah. you know, something that uh, I benefit from, but maybe they don't benefit from. So I'm exploiting them or, you know, like the, those kinds of things that I want to be able to avoid doing. But if I've got this uh, programming in my mind that makes me think I'm better than other people, then it's okay if uh, I do something that, you know, they, they deserve to have something bad happen to them. So I can take something from them and get more than I'm giving back. And like you're justifying that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like th- those, those kinds of things. That's, that's the type of harm. I, I don't want to exploit people. I don't want to take more than I give. Um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to frame that in the term of pregnancy. Cause I, I can't give birth. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, right. I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> well, it's this thing that, you know, like we have to look at, which is this concept of harm and you're using different things to kind of look at what I think you would describe as some of your values and yeah. you're looking at, a value set that you hold that's primarily organized around um, how you uh, interact with others and how you privilege their experience of getting at least at equal with your own and not placing yourself above theirs, or at least not doing so in a way that causes them something that we, we use this word harm for, right? Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to do it in a way that harms them. But it's interesting. I mean, um, I don't know if I can go on a full exploration or defense of this because it's something that I'm working out ongoing and I'm I'm developing my own relationship to this concept. But mm. really, it's kind of the spiritual core of Stoicism. And and it, it's really important to, to share that it is about me individually so that it's not interpreted as now I can go harm others. <laughs> so, right. so it's about how I perceive harm for Josh. It's not about how I would say another person should perceive anything. So for me, the most important delineation about anything in the world of ethics is that ethics can only point one direction and that's towards the self. If it's pointing out, then it's not ethics anymore. It's idealism or judgment about how others are supposed to behave. And it basically just means you're a common human animal that wants to tell other people how to live and neglect your own chores. Does that apply to the ACA code of ethics? <laughs> well, it's like my favorite example of this is like sharing. Like if I run around telling other people to share, what am I doing? What am I demonstrating with my behavior? You're I'm sharing. demonstrating that I like lecturing people. Oh, that you I'm like demonstrating that I like telling people what to do. I'm demonstrating right. to you that I think it's good for me to go around, or at least my behaviors are showing that I'm invested in telling other people how to live that I think I know something more than you do. 
Yeah, perhaps for many different yeah. things, but at minimum, it's an observable fact that my behavior is indicating that I think it's a worthy use of my time to tell people to share. Mm -hmm. And if I actually like sharing, what I will do is I'll share. And I, and maybe I can do both. You could say I can do it and I can evangelize it, but yeah. the value is on evangelizing, not sharing. If the goal is to tell people how they should be. Yeah. And so I want to say that first off here, so it's not misconstrued, but one of the things that the Stoics say, and again, I can't remember exactly which one said this, but he says, um, the gods may kill me, but they cannot harm me. And their thing is, there is no harm that until you collaborate with the external event and decide that it was harm. Mm. And so in your own life, there is no harm that you don't agree with. And once you don't agree with it, then it's not harm anymore. It's just things. And I mean, and they went extreme with this. They went to all the horrible things you could conjure up and say, well, is this harm? Is this harm? You know, back mm. to the the scissors. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and there are other many examples that people could probably come up with worse than that, I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah. so... So there, the question really comes down and that I'm kind of chewing on here as we're talking is, is what, what is harm? You know, um, what do we mean by that? And, and how do we live in a world where there are things outside of our control that can permanently impact us for the remainder of our life that we remain as that, that will be a part of our existence for the rest of our lives. And this is, I think, something that people grapple with in a world that they're trying to determine is, is, is the world good? Is the universe good? Is this experience good? Right. Um, if it can include things that cause pain or sensation, if we just neutralize it, but a sensation that's difficult to be with emotionally or physically that will remain with you for the entirety of your life. You know, that might be what a common description of harm would be. Um, or at least even, even if temporary, you know, temporary yeah. inflicting from others or an outside thing. I think we, you know, mechanically we would think, you know, if, if a dog bit me, they have caused harm to that part of me, something like that, you know, but the Stoics basically argue it's an attitude. It's a choice to interpret and meaningfully make sense of something as bad. And they would say that nothing outside of your own control can be bad. But it doesn't mean that you don't experience things that are difficult. They would just say they include all the difficulties of life in a good life. Things so like that everyone... so slippery, man. They do. It, it, they do because it, you can bring up really so many different ways. Yeah, but 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 also like because every everybody has like their own slightly nuanced, uh, like when they hear the word harm, it means something different to every everybody, right? And in right. different situations, so like to, right. I, I I'm just thinking how how easily <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I, that's why I spent all the time I spent setting up to say I don't use this, like the process whereby I engage with that concept applies for things that happen to me. I do not engage that for anyone else. Mm. I don't walk around telling other people they have not been harmed. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> That would mean that I value telling other people how to think and I don't. Mm. 
I value taking responsibility for how I think, which is why I believe it's a useful concept that I apply to my life. Yeah. And that I wanted that to be very clear because I'm very well aware that there are people whose lives include difficulties unimaginable to me. Um, that that I'm not going to jump ahead and um, advise them on because I don't believe it's my place to do that so much as it's more my mode to want to listen and connect and understand them and and support and love others. That would be what in the other facing, that would be how it would apply in the self-facing. Yeah. I attempt to live under that ideal that the gods may kill me, but they cannot harm me. Um, that's my own effort to apply to my own life alone and only my life. Well, I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad we clarified that. So in your life, are you saying that you you're able to look at all the events of your life and you've talked previously about like your mom and your dad and just like a really tumultuous, chaotic childhood that you would not now look at that and say, I was harmed. I I do look at it and I will say I was harmed because I okay. have not yet integrated the ideal of what I wish to uh, experience. And I think I, to be fully honest, there's a part of me that looks at that and says, yeah, that was harmful in its common parlance. Like it, fucked me up it caused pain it um it added burdens and difficulties that i bear today it resulted in insecurities and difficulties connecting and being in relationship with right. others and feeling yeah. safe and uh then i can evaluate those realities and call them harm or and this is a practice it's not something i've mastered which is why i say i probably have on a gut level still part of me that that re relates to them as harm mm -hmm. um and then my attempt in my spiritual path is to look at it and say it is not the things that happened to me it is my relationship to them that determines what they are and what am i doing with these things now in the present and how do i take responsibility for myself as i am and how do I look at the unique way that I exist in the world as a result of the culmination of all these things and develop a relationship that serves me that's in alignment with the best possible way I can live? And for me, that includes to deliberately not interpret them as harm and acknowledge them in the ways that they are, which is I am still impacted in my relationships, like in, in dating and things, you know, like the way that my formative relationships with my mother and as like a woman. And now I'm in relationship when I'm dating and, and, and I feel insecure or scared, or I feel like I have to be perfect or good enough in order to, to maintain connection and love. And those things are part of my life. And they resulted in, you know, some of the conditional stuff we've talked about both in Mormonism, but also in my individual experience. And yet there is a part of me that, wants to look at these philosophies and say, is there a way to look at the way that I am? Is there a way to look at the way I'm functioning? Is there a way to acknowledge the cause that it was external to me? And is there a way for me to, um, oh, it just got clear to me. So here's how we can make it so that it's not harm. 
is we look at the goal of the stoic life, which is tranquility. And when we look at tranquility, we say, is it possible to live with these things having happened to me and still achieve tranquility? Can anything prevent that? And the answer for them is no, it is my decision to create and generate that tranquility and that I still have that ability to do that with all of these things that are a part of my life that are the difficulties that I bear and that I don't have to add to them, but it is necessary in life to bear certain difficulties. And so it's that kind of clarifying point that lets you determine what is and what is not harm. And for them, what cannot harm or what can harm tranquility is only the self. It's only you. And so that's where I get to. But I I must acknowledge and look at that I've been impacted in ways that remain with me and create all sorts of feelings and sensations. And um, and then on the other hand, on the flip side, just to give my mom some credit, like all these other wonderful things that are part of my life that came from her and all the love that she gave me and all the places where she did succeed and she um, tried her best to love in the way that she could. And um, one of the things that she did is she made holidays just incredibly fun and magical and special. Mm-hmm. And so there's all this, like these memories of love and warmth around those things that remain in me. And so I think it's, again, the, the organizing principle of this very difficult topic, you know, is what's the goal of life and what makes life good. And for the Stoic, they define it as tranquility. For the Buddhist, it's nirvana for, you know, it's these different states for a Christian. It might be salvation or being saved, which is basically living in peace and joy in Christ and then bearing your suffering um, well. And I think life does include pain. It includes pain that is difficult to bear. And what allows it to be born um, is that it's meaningfully organized and that it's organized by the person in a way that gives it meaning and it doesn't create needless suffering. And so that's kind of the alchemy process of these things we go through in life that are challenging and difficult is our relationship to them allows them to be meaningfully organized as harm, pain, suffering, bad, or there's meaning and value. And the meaning can just be life includes people being able to do things to me that add burdens to my life, but I don't have to add to them and I can still achieve tranquility, or at least that's as I understand the stoic path. Yeah. All right. I want to introduce an image uh, for tranquility because I've used this idea a lot. And so now I'm kind of questioning it as we're talking about it. An oasis, the eye of the storm, you know, like uh, chaos, uh, the chaotic world might be swarming around you. Uh, There's some DNC scripture, the word calumnies in it. I don't remember all of it. I think it's the one where he's in Liberty Jail. but like everything's going on, but you've created this little bubble inside of it of tranquility because yeah. you've got the power uh, to, you know, like create your sense of, you know, your your body's emotional system, whatever. You're the mm-hmm. you're the only one that's ever doing it anyway, right? So, um, this image of an oasis, this bubble, this separate from all of the chaotic storm, is that. is that the right image or is it the image that there is no bubble there is no oasis it is just the chaos and the storm and you're just like the buddha that's smiling and going oh yeah that's what that's what reality is 
Yes, that's my opinion is that second one. It is that you realize that there's abundance even in death. Yeah. There's joy even in in it's one of the 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 physiological metaphors that really helped me um explore sensation more broadly uh was cold water was beginning to organize and connect to cold water and all the sensations my mental process i became aware of in time was actually and it was subtle it wasn't obvious at first but it became very simple and easily obvious which is there was an inherent instinctual meaning that 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 emerges from being in cold water in a in a monkey like me and it is that the organic meaning is this is killing you yeah it's you're dying right and once i got clear on that i realized oh that's actually not true no you're not you're not that you're not even close you're like so far from that and i'm talking about being in a cold shower or a cold like, swimming pool or, yeah, or a cold like swimming pool. I'm not talking plunges, about yeah. Arctic water and, and cold plunges too. Like for the first 20 minutes, which is a huge ordeal for most people to tolerate <laughs> to 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. At like, at like 40 degrees. Yeah. But don't recommend that for beginners. And that actually potentially could be dangerous, but uh, there are extreme levels of tolerance that can be endured in time. And that the body's nowhere near dying, but that meaning making and the nervous system reaction and what I call is just the attitude of this is bad itself, like the, that just that attitude, that organizing energy of this is bad also isn't true. And once you get rid of that and you, you start using very neutral language, you can come to experience that the abundance in the eye of the storm, the beauty in the destruction and the death and the totality of reality is itself inherently beautiful. And the symphony of, of the universe wants to paint with all of its colors, including light and black right. and cruelty yeah. and exhilaration yeah. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that they can be born without adding to them and that tranquility can be achieved and that there is a eternal tranquility within any part of reality that can be found and achieved which does not eliminate the grief the pain the suffering right. it doesn't deny it it gives ground for it and it lets it be beautiful as well yeah and and for me that's how you find those things of that nothing can harm you yeah is that invincibility within that allows all to be felt and explored and understood and can accept and value it as the part of the life that is lived because it's yours yeah yeah, I think that's I think that's the reason I asked the question. Um, it, uh, th this idea of acceptance versus rejection, um, like rejecting things, because we talked about idealism, you know, and yeah. like if you've got an yeah. ideal that things are mm -hmm. supposed to be a certain yep. way, and if I shouldn't not judge because yeah, yeah, right. Mormonism right? so, formed me this way. I'm supposed to not be this way because I shouldn't have been formed this way. You're still making yourself into an object and a project. Yeah, I'm I'm constantly putting myself I, I'm 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 saying I'm not where I need to be because where I need to be is there and I'm here and until I get so I'm constantly in the state of I'm not in the right place, but that's created that's a in the way mind, of right? To the self. Yeah, yeah, that's a way of objectifying the self and making the self a project. And I think we're kind of in a roundabout way, we're kind of orbiting what does eventually get to this concept of loving the self. Yeah. 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 Which is first for me, the way that I think about it. And I, I, I kind of conceptualized this years back is 
at the base of this is looking at how one is in connection to just what we know about ourselves and that can be expanding infinitely so the self relationship is infinite and can can and ought to in my view go on for the entirety of the existence of the being and that what it is is it's looking at how that function is happening so it's looking at how you are meaningfully organizing anything about yourself and it's observing it with curiosity and um and openness and so at the base of self love for me and i get a lot of this from eric fromm in his book the art of loving which i recommend to anyone who wants to kind of further look at how we start to love ourselves is to begin to build a relationship to the self that is aware of it and his primary way of doing this is at first meditation um i think it was meditation and telling the truth were like the two basic fundamental parts that he gets to in that book. And maybe I can review that and see if there's anything more, but essentially it's, we have to begin to get to know the self. So we can't love what we don't know. We can't relate to what we haven't built a connection to. And so meditation is kind of this foundational way of getting to know the self through observation. So it's observing non-judgmentally in totality as much as we can to start to, um, just with wonder and openness take in the self and this this reality this conscious being that's having thoughts without attaching to them doing things without attaching to the actions and not making meaning of anything but just observing directly that would be for me part of the beginning and then one of the things that we talk about when we talk about self love is essentially i think people have a bastardized version of it which comes from words like self esteem Mm. confidence self-love and when we tell people to have these we are so counterproductive because we're almost necessarily um critiquing how they are and so yeah. there has to be this radical acceptance or what we might say is observation of the self at the base of it and then for me the way to build a sense of affinity to the self or or how you learn to like yourself is first to observe yourself non-judgmentally and start to give space to be with yourself exactly as you are, including your impulses to change yourself, including your shame, including everything without reacting to it or doing anything but noticing. And that's the first step. The second is to start to take care of your needs and take responsibility for yourself. And that leads to the more colloquial understanding of self-love, which is I like myself. So if you want to like yourself, you need to get to know yourself and then take responsibility for your needs. And by showing consistent dedication to being able to rely on yourself, take care of yourself, forgive yourself, and continually give yourself opportunities to renew the relationship, you strengthen that relationship to a point where you'll actually start to like yourself because you've been such a good friend to yourself and you've been so responsible for yourself and you've stopped giving into abusing yourself and letting yourself down and neglecting yourself and all of the things that the easiest way to kind of get a clear view of this is to imagine it as two versions of you and one is treating that one a certain way and imagining showing up for yourself, being reliable, uh, getting up and serving yourself, you know, as simple as when I do the dishes, I thank myself. I don't have a dishwasher, 
I thank myself for having done it. And I hold a moment to appreciate that act of love and service because mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it, but I wanted it done. Mm-hmm. And so when I did it, I thank myself for doing the thing that was difficult and I'm learning how to be better to myself. And I take accountability to myself and I hold myself accountable to continually growing to be as kind and caring and attentive and supportive as I can. And so it's, it's, it's twofold. I think there's a more cosmic thing, which is just love is the essence of the universe. And I am that, and I can observe that through meditation and I can get in touch with states of euphoria and endless love that emerge from the self through awareness and meditation and those kind of cosmological events that are about the nature of reality and the self that kind of dissolve the ego function and let you feel your broader connection to the abundance of reality. And then there's this more kind of how to get to a place where you like yourself. And that's more for me about developing yourself in a way that you're relating to yourself in a way that is taking care of your needs, showing up, being reliable, being loving, being kind, ignoring negative thinking, focusing on how to support, care for, and show up for yourself and continually forgive yourself when you let yourself down, be, you know, the kind of ultimate self-parent that you would have wanted, this ultimate embodiment of mother-father ideals, and live them toward yourself, and practice them, and forgive yourself when you don't meet them, and keep going. Um, and, And as I've done those things, which I've done, I found out that I actually like me, And I started to have what I would call self-respect. And I like start to think I've put so much effort into treating myself with dignity and care and respect that now I, I do feel those things. So when someone else says something, I kind of don't care because they don't really understand, like they're not as involved in this as I am. Um, So, so those are the kind of two paths I think about when I think about liking yourself maybe, and, and also understanding the nature of yourself is a state of love perhaps yeah there's so much that we could talk about there i i I know you've got to run soon how are you doing on time i'm doing good i think um we've got about well we've got about 20 minutes i think okay yeah 20 minutes and then maybe a little to wrap if we want if we have more to go if you have i mean yeah I, i laid out a lot of concepts there but yeah you did yeah there there was there was a lot that was in there it was really good i one of the things I kept thinking about, um, probably, I don't know, I think it was 2017. I was doing a, a podcast called The Spiritual Brain, and um, we interviewed uh, a psychotherapist named Ross Rosenberg. Have you heard of Ross Rosenberg? Do you know who he is? Did you mention him to me before? I don't know if I have or not. He okay. He I, I it's not ringing any bells that are that I'm drawing on immediately. He he proposed in the course of that conversation. He he talked about work that he does, and so I'm not I'm not sure how well known he is in in the field or not. But he works specifically w- with um in in the narcissist codependent relationship space where, where one, one person's a narcissist, the other one is a codependent. And what he said is, you know, a narcissist has very clear terms, definition. It's in the DSM five. You you can identify a narcissist pretty easily. Codependent is a word that gets used a lot, but doesn't really have that kind of definition around Mm -hmm. it. And so 
this this is what Ross was saying in in his experience he has redefined it and he's coined this term called self-love deficit disorder mm. and he thinks that you know that relationship between a narcissist and codependent is really that that codependent they have they, they're suffering from self-love deficit disorder <laughs> they don't love themselves enough is basically the thing yeah that, well I, I would say I agree with this and I would add that it's not what's important is to look at how they try to meet their need for love and they try to meet it with something outside of them. And my view is that it's a domestic product and it can only be built within. So whatever one does to try to feel content or some sense of affinity towards themselves is about their own relationship to themselves. And if they made the goal of idealizing themselves the way that they idealize the other when they get into these very passionate relationships, which are inherent to the beginning of a codependent bond, that that energy is actually for them, that it's meant to be their own energy toward themselves to develop and connect their own domestic product which is created generated and exists within the self infinitely and there's two things there's recognizing the state of euphoria and abundance that you can tap into which is the state of nature through meditation that can be arrived at through meditative experience you begin to see the abundance and the joy and the inherent meditative joy that's part of being conscious and alive that's just inherent to reality that's within you to be yours at all times. And then there is observing the things that are inherent to what's going on at this site of reality or this organism or this self and practicing a relationship that is basically being the ideal partner to the self, which is finding out how the self's day was taking care of basic needs, forgiving yourself when you make errors, learning how to have kind, loving self-talk, practicing these things and developing them so that the self-relationship has such a high quality to it that you eventually begin to necessarily feel love and respect. And for me, it's about taking on the duty to serve yourself with what you need and not what you deserve. And that's what Bent Falk, uh, one of my other Gestalt heroes says, he says, loving someone is about giving them what they need, not what they deserve. And I would say loving yourself is making a commitment to keep forgiving yourself and showing up and serving yourself to meet your needs and give you what you need and let go of any idea about what it is you do or don't deserve. Yeah. And then we get to this place where you you can't really be codependent anymore because you've kind of come to the place of a knowledge that only you can give you what you need and then you can enjoy the company of others. Yeah. And you can relish them and you can love them, but they don't, you're not trying to take from the outside and fill a void within. You're you've already taken responsibility to connect to and acknowledge kind of a base state of reality. And then you've You've gone onto the path of the endeavor of of loving and serving and caring for your own being. So I, I'm assuming, Josh, that you've experienced this in your practice over 10 years. You've worked with people who 
over the course of working with you, they have increased their own ability to love themselves and to like themselves and to have more confidence in themselves. Yeah. What, what are, how, how does it, I mean, I know everybody's different, but like, what are some of the common things that you've seen in, in guiding people or helping them guide themselves or however it, it works from a place of I'm not good enough or wherever they're starting out to a place of, uh, yeah, I love myself. I like myself. I'm taking care of myself. I even understand what that means now. Whereas before I didn't yeah. know what that means. Like, how do we what, do that in the therapy space? How did, how does this look? Is that what, what you're asking? Yeah. Like, what have you learned, uh, about it that, well, you know, like, I, well, I know you can't sit, we've got dozens of people listening and you can't work with each one of them individually right now, but like, what can we say generally that, could be a, a practical takeaway. Well, really what I try to do is facilitate for them everything that I'm talking about, that they're paying for someone to help them on that process. And the only real help is self-help. And yet the environment can give in for people in a way that if they have a process that's utilizing it can nourish them, it can meet their needs, it can support them. And so part of what I do is I function in a way that they are not yet able to function. And that allows them the possibility of becoming aware. So that is at the basis. And then from there, with that awareness, they can start to either live more meaningfully with the same thing they're doing, or they can start to experiment and grow and they can find out if some of the things that I'm sharing are useful to them and they can, for their own self-orientation, begin to take in some of these things. But I operate toward them with love. Mm -hmm. I operate toward them with constant positive regard. I give them attention and I invite them to give them attention, but I give them the attention And so that's the phenomenological approach, which is I notice what's happening and I invite their curiosity towards it as well. So if they're tearing up, I say, I notice your tears. What are you, what's happening now? So I'm facilitating constantly the opportunity for them to do the things that are at the base of this, which is practicing, giving themselves that observation that we talked about, which can lead to that kind of cosmic state of understanding the base nature of reality is love underneath it all. And that the way to get there is observation. And once observed, you can finally get to that place. Once the, the surface of the water can finally still enough for you to see. And so I give them the things they don't yet have in themselves so that they have an opportunity to begin to facilitate it within themselves to do it independent of me, which is to observe and take responsibility for their own life. And to live it in accordance with their own ongoing relational development to their own value sets. What What are some of the things like you talked about uh, being able to forgive yourself as being a really important part of uh, one of these yeah. skills, I guess. Yeah. But what What are some of the things that you found um, that people need to forgive themselves for or that, you know, yeah. like it's common or a this struggle like this, this one's a hard one to forgive yourself for. Well, this is so easy for me because I have such a distinct memory of perhaps the first time that I ever forgave myself. Mm. Um, 
And it was, again, we're looking at how I'm related, how the self is relating to the self. And what I didn't realize is, you know, when people make mistakes and they like, let's say a really close friend and they come up to me and they're like, you know, I, I did this thing. I'm so sorry, Josh. I, I hope that you'll forgive me first is functionally understanding what it means that they're asking for. Um, which for me is very simple. It's uh, again, I got this from Bent Falk, uh, a Gestalt, a Danish Gestalt therapist that I admire and respect deeply. Um, and he said, forgiving a person is not to necessarily remove what they've done or the memory of it, but it is to, while acknowledging, extend them another chance and to reconnect to them again. And I had become so hurt by myself with the way that I treated myself and the way I was relating to myself, the way that I would speak to myself, the way that I would kind of hold a grudge against myself that I've never held against anyone. I, I literally, part of my nature is it's extremely difficult for me to maintain the energy required to hold a grudge against someone. Mm-hmm. This isn't something virtuous about me. It's, it's I'm actually too lazy to stay mad at people. I just can't, I can't do it. Like I just, I I've never been able to, to be no, that no, mad at no other person is worth the amount of energy it would take for you to be mad at them. I just can't keep the fire going. <laughs> I just can't keep the fire going. I'm like, yeah, I'm over it. I just don't care. You know, I could be apathetic, but I couldn't mm-hmm. maintain wrath, you know? Yeah. Um, and so yet there was all this unwillingness to just let myself have a new opportunity to try again really to try again on anything that i had felt humiliated or ashamed of or um bad about myself towards and it that psychic energy that way of relating had created so much negative gravity towards me being able to grow because i didn't know how to just say, bro, I'm going to look at you. I'm going to acknowledge you to the fullest extent that I can. And this is me looking at me. And I'm going to say, let's try again, dude, for real. Like I'm literally going to now forgive you. And functionally what that means is I'm offering you a start over with no memory. I'm forgiving the debt. I'm not looking at the numbers. I'm not focusing on how you've been before. I'm just saying, let's try it again. Let's start over. Let's let this be new. And there was such an emotional release for me when I finally, I mean, I was just bawling. Like um, when I finally let myself do that, which is I apologized to myself. I said the words, you know, like, Josh, I'm so sorry for how shitty I've been to you. I'm sorry for the way I've been speaking to you. I'm sorry for the way that I've been ashamed of you. I'm sorry that I've been disgusted by you and that I've treated you this way and that I've felt these feelings. I'm sorry for that. And I don't like that I've been that way. And I'm acknowledging that it has been how I've been. And I want to love you, man. I want to take you and I want to, I want to take care of you and I want to try. And I hope that you can give me the grace to, to try from a fresh start, from a fresh moment. And I gave myself that. Well, here's here's the weird thing I'm thinking about as you're saying that, because like, it doesn't sound to me like when you're saying, hey, I'm sorry, I was so hard, like, 
like that sounds like you're being hard on yourself to me, you know, like, mm. so like the, the act of forgiving yourself is the act of self-love, like, right. Where you're like, I'm sorry, I wasn't better for you. Like, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't an ideal way towards you. Maybe, but maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be that. It can just be, I can see how I treated you as counterproductive and I can see that the way that it was doing has caused more pain and didn't help the end goal. Mm -hmm. I can see what I was doing hurt and, and wasn't serving a purpose of value. Yeah. And I can see that I was treating you in a way that's beneath my values. I wouldn't treat any other human the way that I've treated you. I wouldn't hold a belief that someone else is disgusting and, and worthless and, and shameful and, and I, I did that to me. And so for me, what's more core to this is acknowledging what I did, acknowledging its impact, and still choosing to give myself another chance to let it go so that it doesn't just keep compounding in a shitty spiral to stop that's, that yeah, and that's to start the, again. Because like, I don't know the specifics on what it was that you were doing to yourself, um, but that's going to be there. I'm assuming that it's trauma related and that there's some coping mechanisms that came up for, for the way that you would cope with trauma and you developed habits that served you at the time. But then as you got older, you recognized, wait, this is, this isn't really serving me anymore. This is actually harming me to use that word. And then you get to the point where you're like, wait, I'm aware now that I've been harming myself and I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm acknowledging that this is what I've been doing, but there still might be, and probably is that unconscious, those neural pathways that are interpreting information in such a way that's going on underneath the surface that you're still in the future going to have those kinds of instincts or impulses to act in a certain way. Absolutely. And so that, that when when you're aware of that, or like, if you're not aware of it and you do it again, then you're like, ah, oh, Britney Spears. Oops. I did it again. And you know, like there it is. And I yeah. forgive myself for it instead of like beating well, myself I, up, like, ah, yeah. I'm such a loser or whatever, yeah. you know, like there's some yeah. level of understanding yeah. and acceptance and, with it. Well, yeah. And an apology needs to be deserved. So I deserved, uh, I, I was worthy in in my opinion of, of the apology in this way is that I could tell myself this, like the self conversation could look like this. I realize, Josh, I can do a little better and it doesn't mean I'm going to be different because I realized that. But every time I catch myself doing the things that I've done that are counterproductive, I'm going to be so grateful that I have a chance to try again. And I hope you'll forgive me again. And I want to begin again and put the energy towards treating you the way you deserve and the way that I want to treat you. Or I guess, you know, to say earlier, let's throw out deserve, but treat you the way that's in alignment with my values. That's going to be productive and useful. And so I'm wanting to shift the, the direction and take responsibility for how I've been to you. And I want to continually grow and learn how to treat you better. And, and when you do that and, and cause you were recalling the first time, like you remembered yeah, that the time I really, really did it. forgave well, yourself. Well, did that create that it. tranquility, like that oh stoic God. tranquility that you're like, that's, that, that's my goal. That's what I'm aiming for. Well, that moment, holy shit, man. Like it was for me. So 
just so profound because I did actually give myself the grace to try again. Yeah. Which is what I mean by forgiveness. I accepted the apology for real. Yeah. It wasn't fake. It was, I, I confronted myself and I, I basically was like, yeah, I'm going to let you try again. And I'm going to, we're starting from right now. It's fresh, baby. This is a hundred percent, nothing in this bank account. I'm a hundred percent doing that because that's the right thing to do. And we're starting now. It starts now. Let's go. And that release was enormous. It was so enormous to be like, wow, I can give myself that this Mm -hmm. thing that I've been exporting and giving to others. Yeah. (laughs) I can give to me. I can give to me. Yeah. And, um, and that was the, that was the beginning of a a much, 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 much better relationship. Uh, And I want to continue it. It's the quest of life to continually deepen and take more responsibility for this being that I observe and that I am conscious of, which is, yeah, which is my kind of beneath the self function is the observing energy. That's if you wanted, you know, Josh's kind of, what are we beneath this organism is we are the conscious energy that observes this organism that is, that is there from the beginning of our life to the end and nothing else changes, but that everything changes rather, but that, that is the one constant is the conscious observational awareness of, of this being that I've, my self function has evolved. My relationship to me has evolved. The level of affinity I experience towards myself has evolved. The way that I've related to myself and taken responsibility and care for myself has evolved. And yet I am the gardener. I'm the gardener of this being. Yeah. And I'm trying to be the best gardener I can be. Do you have time for one last question? Sure. And then probably got to wrap. Okay. So when you think back on those things that you did, that you were able to really forgive yourself for and give yourself a, you know, permission to try again, mm-hmm. when you look back at those behaviors that you did, do you still feel sorry that you did them? Or are you grateful that you did them? And what I'm really trying to get at is, do you love that you did them? Like, is is your self-love, does that include all of the, that you love all of your past behaviors? And if so, then what the fuck does love even mean? That's, yeah, that's... the last question, just to wrap up real quickly here, Josh. You're welcome. Well, I, I like <laughs> your final question, which is really what the fuck does love mean? Because I like the idea of love what is. And what is, is what was. And so I can have that choice to love what is because those challenges have given me the opportunity to become who I am. But there were things I've done that are counterproductive that I don't recommend. And I'm grateful I stopped them and I'm grateful they've been stopped. And so it's a weird paradox, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you can say, yeah, I love, but that doesn't mean I'm encouraging and yeah, let's do more of this. Exactly. Exactly. The the, yeah. the love is kind of that let's, let's put it in its proper context. Um, you know, like seed growing through a sprout to a tree, exactly. you know, like, you know, like I was at my stage of growth at that point, you know, I, th- this is where it was. Yeah, and which is and how I feel yeah. about it now is I don't like those behaviors, and I really don't yeah. like it. And I can accept even now that I don't like them, and I I love that I can accept that I don't like them. 
Yeah. Because the word love, I I mean, (laughs) I I think for me, a lot of times I think that love is just like the uh, butterflies and rainbows and happiness and joy and, you know, like those kinds of things. And I forget that love is bigger than that. There's more going on than just that. There's more going on. Yeah. Love for me is finding the beauty and the totality of the universe and all the colors it paints with. Yeah. Which is not Everything. hard to find because it's it, right here. It's all yeah. stuff you can see and all the rest that you can't. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we've, we've, we've done it. We've yeah. outlined it all. <laughs> yeah. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol Dashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic.